0: If you are a, a first-time uh, visitor with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. You'll find somewhere near you a, uh, a card, we call it a connection card, that you can find either behind the seats or in the pews, and uh, if you could fill that out, we'd really appreciate it. We won't single you out or anything, we'll give you a free gift at the Welcome Center, and it, uh, we just appreciate you being here this morning. I'm not the regular pastor, I'm the associate pastor, praise God. For that. Um, so uh, so. Generally, when I get asked to speak, I, I I speak on something that I I've been struggling with, unless unless the senior pastor gives me an assignment that I have to speak about something. And so today uh, I didn't get any assignment. So you're going to hear some things that I've been struggling with, and it's just my guess that perhaps you've been struggling with them too. But we're gonna we're gonna start out with a little video. <laughs> Ha <laughs> This, right? We have times when we want to appear something different than what we really are. Uh, in, in that clip, uh, Mr. Regan uh, wanted to appear as if he, he knew art, but it was obvious he didn't. He didn't know what Monet or Cezanne or Francis Bacon had no clue what those, those meant. Um, th- this has happened to me on, on many occasions uh, shortly after I, m- I moved up here to uh, Michigan. Uh, anytime that a conversation started out with hunting, that's the way I felt, because I had no, I'd never hunted before, you know, I hunted for things like girls and cars, but, but no, nothing like uh, uh, animals of any sort. Uh, my, my, really, my knowledge of hunting came from Escanaba in the Moonlight. You guys ever see that movie? So that was pretty much the, where I was coming from uh, as a hunter, and I still have a pretty much that amount of knowledge of, of hunting, although I, I do enjoy sitting in the woods doing nothing. All day. Forever. Um, we're going to look today at a, a biblical character who was more concerned about his appearance than reality. And that's really where, where we're headed today uh, during our, our short time together this morning. Do we concern ourselves more with appearance than reality? If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Second Samuel uh, chapter 11, and this is going to be a very familiar story, I believe, for, for most of you, uh, but it's going to kind of highlight some of the things we're going to talk about this morning in, in this idea of being real. So, um, starting at verse 1, in the spring of the year, at the time when kings normally conduct wars, David sent out Joab with his officers and the entire Israelite army. They defeated the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, this woman was very attractive. So David sent someone to inquire about the woman. The messenger said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent some messengers to get her. She came to him, and he had sexual relations with her. Now, at that time, she was in the process of purifying herself from her her uncleanness. Then she returned to her home. The woman conceived and then sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent a message to Joab that said, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked about how Joab and the army were doing and how the campaign was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your home and relax. When Uriah left the palace, the king sent a gift to him. But Uriah stayed at the door of the palace with all the servants of the Lord. Of his Lord. He did not go down to his house. So they informed David, Uriah has not gone down to his house. So David said to Uriah, Haven't you just arrived from a journey? Why haven't you gone down to your house? Uriah replied to David, The ark and Israel and Judah reside in temporary shelters, and my Lord Joab and my Lord's soldiers are camping in the open field. Should I go to my house to eat and drink and have marital relations with my wife? As surely as you are alive, I will not do this thing. So David said to Uriah, Stay here another day. Tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem, both that day and the following one. Then David summoned him. He ate and drank with him and got him drunk. But in the evening, he went out to sleep on his bed with the servants of his Lord. He did not go down to his own house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Station Uriah in the thick of the battle and then withdraw from him so he will be cut down and killed. So as Joab kept watch on the city, stationed Uriah at the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. When the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, some of, the, of David's soldiers f- fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent a full re- battle report to David. He instructed the messenger as follows. When you finish giving the battle report to the king, if the king becomes angry and asks you, Why did you go so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone down on him from the wall so he died in Thebes?" Why did you go so close to the wall? Just say to him, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. So the messenger departed. When he arrived, he informed David of all the news that Joab had sent with him. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and attacked us in the field, but we forced them to retreat all the way to the door of the city gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's soldiers died. Your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. David said to the messenger, Tell Joab, don't let this thing upset you. There is no way to anticipate whom the sword will cut down. Press the battle against the city and conquer it. Encourage him with these words. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning passed, David had her brought to his palace. She became his wife, and she bore him a son. But what David had done upset the Lord. A lot of of layers to this particular subject. But you can see that, that David's chief concern here was not an uncovering of his own sin. It was a covering up and maybe an avoidance of his own sin. In fact, he even took a couple of days to think about what he could do. He said, hey, Uriah, why don't you stay here for a day or two? And his, his motivation was not so that he could uh, figure out a righteous way to handle the situation. It was so he could figure out a way to get rid of Uriah the Hittite. And he eventually did that. David was far more concerned with his appearance than reality. In fact, David probably thought he had gotten away with it, right? How long was it, those of you who are familiar with the story, how long was it from the time this happened until the time the prophet Nathan came to talk to David? It was more than the time that it takes for someone to be pregnant and have a baby, right? Because it says Bathsheba bore him a son and then, in the next chapter, we see sometimes we don't think of the timeline, but it was probably a year later. So David's probably thinking, "Wow, I, I got away with with that one with adultery and murder two two kind of biggies. Chapter twelve, so the Lord sent Nathan to David when he came to David, Nathan said, "There are two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing." "'Except for a little lamb he had acquired. "'He raised it, and it grew up alongside him and his children. "'It used to eat his food, drink from his cup, and sleep in his arms. "'It was just like a daughter to him. "'When a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, "'he did not want to use one of his own cheaper cattle "'to feed the traveler who came to visit him. "'Instead, he took the poor man's lamb "'and cooked it for the man who had come to visit him. "'Then David became very angry at this man. "'He said to Nathan, "'As surely as the Lord lives, "'the man who did this deserves to die.'" Because he committed this cold-hearted crime, he must pay for the lamb four times over. Nathan said to David, you are that man. And so his sin found him out. There's kind of a multiplication factor, I think, the, the higher up you are on the, on the status ladder. It, it's a multiplication factor that, that when you are on a pedestal, you really want to protect your reputation and your appearance and I think for the king it was it was pretty significant how high up the ladder um he uh, was of course he had a lot to protect you know Uh, we think of of people even around us when you are in a position of authority like like the pastor of a church um we kind of want to protect you know, our reputations. And, and so sometimes we'll give an appearance of righteousness when, when the reality is maybe we're not being righteous at all. Um, there's a standard that's, that the Bible gives us. It's holiness and perfection. And sometimes we don't measure up, but we certainly don't want others to know that we don't measure up. And therefore we ignore our sin, we avoid talking about our sin, we attempt to justify our sin, or we even try to cover up. Our sin. I think for me, I, I like the ignore and avoid. That's, that's kind of more where, where I'm at. I, I like to ignore my sin and uh, avoid my sin. Um, but the, regardless, it's we care more about appearances than reality. What does that do for us? Well, I, I think that leads to a, a growing distance between us and God. Just track with me for, for a moment here on this. If if I don't like to, to talk about my sin, if I ignore it and avoid it or cover it up, then I'm certainly not going to talk to other people about my issues. And if I'm not going to bring it up to other people, I'm really unwilling to kind of bring it up before God because then it just reminds me of it. And so it creates this this distance that grows. And when we aren't close to God, we'll never overcome these issues i certainly don't want to bring them up after all if i appear to be righteous that should be enough right I kind of hope so pastors are called to a higher standard now see that's that's why i'm I, i'm an associate pastor so i'm i'm not on the top rung. so I, I think that kind of that's kind of a loophole that we've created here in the in the multi-staff generation um there's a list in, in Titus and Timothy and, and 1 Peter about pastors, and I, I just wanted to share with you a, a little bit from this list so we can hold Jeremiah accountable when he comes back. Um, a pastor must be devoted to his wife. A pastor's children must be in submission, though not perfect. A pastor is a faithful steward. A pastor must be humble, not arrogant. Gentle, not quick-tempered. Sober, not a drunkard. A pastor must be peaceful, not violent. A pastor must have financial intre- integrity, not greedy for gain. Must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, uh, upright, holy, able to teach, spiritually mature, respectable, and an example to the flock. That's a, that's a pretty significant list uh, of things that, that pastors are called to. But I think Christians are called to, to pretty much uh, uh, a similar list. You know, we, we tend to put pastors kind of up on a pedestal um, and, and rightfully so. I think the Bible speaks to holding pastors accountable at a, at a higher degree. But, but truthfully, we're all accountable. We're all held accountable to a standard, and that standard is, is Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a couple, of, uh, a couple of, of the roadblocks, I think, to being real with, um, with our faith and with the journey we're on. The first one is pride. We all want people to think we're doing great. We all want people to like us. We all want people to value our contributions. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. C.S. Lewis says, It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. He also said, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man it is the comparison that makes you proud the pleasure of being above the rest once the element of competition is gone pride is gone. Pride is, is is one of those things where we all know what it is but it's really hard i think to to practically see how that affects our lives but it, it does almost every day every day of my life i get up and think what do i want to do today What is on my list? Those personal pronouns are very much a part of my everyday. When perhaps I should get up and say, what does my wife need me to do for her today? What do my kids need me to do for them today? What is God asking me to do today? But too often, and I'm just going to lay this out, this is me, Uh, I struggle with that, because I always get up and I have an agenda, and I I come into work and I make a list of things that that are on my mind, the things that I want to do. Whenever we sit down to to watch a television show, whose hand is the remote in? mine. What do I want to watch? Channel 140 on Dish. (laughs) It's ESPN. It's where my channel, and my kids all know, they're like, no sports, Dad. And so I usually, um, well, sometimes acquiesce and, and we watch something else, but but it's all about me. It's all about what I want to do. The second obstacle to this is fear. Um, I have a quote from John Eldridge, and uh, I think uh, in his book um, "Wild at Heart," he makes this uh, this quote. Uh, Adam. This is all about Adam, Adam and Eve, from the very beginning. Adam is hiding. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's in Genesis. Eldridge says. You don't need a course in psychology to understand men. We are hiding, every last one of us, well aware that we too are not what we are meant to be, desperately afraid of exposure, terrified of being seen for what we are and are not. We have run off into the bushes. Most of what you encounter when you meet a man is a facade, an elaborate fig leaf, a brilliant disguise. Elridge says the greatest fear of a man is to be exposed as a poser. What's a poser? Someone who is saying he's one thing but is in reality another so in in one aspect we we like to puff up we like to appear better than what we are on the other side of this that that's a pride side on the other side is fear we know what we are and we're afraid that someone's going to discover that and more importantly someone's going to discover that who we are is not in line with who we say we are or who we say we want to be this is obviously a, a, a part of the greater discussion in our culture on Christianity, on Christians. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. I usually agree with that statement. Because I will say I'm this, and I usually am this. And that's a, those things don't go hand in hand. Even Paul said in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do, or the things I don't do, are the things um, that I should be doing. And so there's this, this hypocritical type of attitude towards that a third thing is is comfort we get comfortable with sin I grabbed this book from the library respectable sins and and I thought it'd be helpful for us if I just went down through the uh, table of contents and mentioned a few of the sins I think we become and if if this hurts a little bit it's it's supposed to it's this is supposed to not be be uh, easy for you uh, let's see, ungodliness, anxiety and frustration, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger, judgmentalism, envy, jealousy, and related sins, sins of the tongue, worldliness. These are just a few of the sins that we can kind of become comfortable with. Now, there's a whole list of, of sins that we're uncomfortable with, Right? We hear about them in the news all the time where we get uncomfortable with, with uh, abortion and homosexuality and, and adultery. We're, we're kind of uncomfortable with those, but, but that's because for most of us, we're, you know, we're, we're on the outside looking in on, on those things. But when it comes down to things like self-control, and I'm going to just kind of pick on myself for a moment. Self-control um, speaks to a, a whole uh, gamut of things. Uh, And it's not just for those of us who are uh, carrying a few extra pounds, um, which some people might say I am. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It is an issue of self-control because yesterday we ordered pizza, and I like pizza. Uh, I don't know that that's a sin in and of itself, liking pizza. But when you have five pieces, it's probably going overboard. You know, I'm past the part of being hungry. And then they bring out that cinnamon pizza with the ice. You know, come on. You know, it, it's an issue of self-control. It's it's not lacking, it's lacking the ability to say enough is enough. And you can be skinny and have issues with this too. This isn't just relegated to those of us carrying a few extra pounds. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Maybe you're indulging more television than you need to be watching. Perhaps you are... Uh, uncontrolled at work you work too many hours and you're not devoting time time to your family so you, whenever there's a temptation like that it becomes very difficult for you to exercise self-control but for me that that is an issue the other one that I I love how the this little book uh, talks about it is the sins of the tongue and it looks at Ephesians 429 and, and it basically says there's to be no corrupting talk i'm like well i usually don't swear that's pretty good, right? Well, corrupting talk means no gossip, no sarcasm, no critical speech, no harsh words. crap. <laughs> you know, as soon as it said sarcasm, I was done. I mean, that's my that's my chosen parenting tool. You know, sarcasm. My kids aren't in this service. I may not use the example next service. But that's because they'll call me on it every time I, I use sarcasm. No gossip, no sarcasm, no critical speech, no harsh words. I get comfortable with those things. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with them. No worries. You know, everybody knows I'm joking, right? No. Absolutely not. We can't get comfortable, I think, in our own sin. In fact, if we're serious about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, we've got to get serious about, about killing our sin. Not dancing with it or playing hide-and-seek with it or taking it to dinner. Matt Chandler says we must kill it. It says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's a good question. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? The last roadblock, I, I think, is ignorance. And my wife said, uh, she, she looked at it and said, um, so you're, you're arrogant, afraid, lazy, and stupid. <laughs> uh, that's about right. <laughs> that's like a pretty, pretty good list. Ignorance, uh, I was going to call this one stupidity, but I, I really thought it might offend some people. Um, sometimes I think we just need to examine ourselves a little better. We need to know ourselves a little better. And, and this lack of understanding is no excuse. This to be a roadblock. I know, if I know I have an issue with a dough and tomato sauce and cheese on the top, then why am I ordering two of those things when I know one of them would feed the number of people that we had to feed yesterday? Because I knew I wanted more pieces than I was going to be given. I mean, that's the reason why, right? And I know myself, and, and I, sh- I should understand myself a little better. We did a, a series a little while ago called The Me I Want to Be. And uh, part of that series, you could take this survey that, that kind of told you a little bit more about yourself. You answered a bunch of questions, and it, and it talked to you a little bit uh, about your personality and stuff. And I, I have this book called Your Personality in the Spiritual Life. I think it's out of print. But I bring it up often when, when people ask me about some of this stuff. You take a little personality test, and the cool thing is it matches you up with someone, uh, a biblical uh, character, and it talks about your, your personality and who that person is, and then your strengths that go along with your personality and your weaknesses that go along with that personality. So when you start to know yourself a little better, um, I think you can overcome this idea of, of wanting to appear righteous rather than just be righteous. Well, how do you get get past those things? It's not an easy solution, but the cool thing about um, uh, that story in Second Samuel of David and his issues is it, it comes full circle, and we're going to get to Psalm fifty one here in a moment. But in Luke nine twenty three, it says, "If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily." And follow me. I want to just walk through that a little bit. The, the first aspect of that is a desire. If any of you wants to be my follower, you have to have a desire for that. If you look at Psalm 51, this is a, a great psalm. Uh, it's one of my favorite psalms in, in all of scripture. It's David's response after Nathan confronts him with, with this sin. And you know, David, his response is pretty serious. He put on sackcloth. If you don't know what sackcloth is, it's kind of like a burlap sack type material. It's uncomfortable. We don't make our clothes out of that stuff because it's uncomfortable, itchy. He puts that on, lays out in the street. Everybody can see him. And he's, he's praying for the life of his child because he knew that Nathan told him the child was going to die. And uh, he was totally serious about things, uh, asking God for forgiveness. And this is his response then in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love. Because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoing. Cleanse me of my sin. For I am aware of my rebellious acts. I am forever conscious of my sin. Against you, you above all, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner the moment my mother conceived me. Look, you desire integrity in the inner man. You want me to possess wisdom. Sprinkle me with water and I will be pure. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilt. Create for me a pure heart, O God. Renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Then I will teach rebels your merciful ways and sinners will turn to you. Rescue me from the guilt of murder, O God, the God who delivers me. Then my tongue will shout for joy because of your deliverance. O Lord, give me the words, then my mouth will praise you. Certainly you do not want a sacrifice or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. The sacrifices God desires are a humble spirit. O oh God, a humble and repentant heart you will not reject. Can you, can you just sense David's heart in that? When I mean, We describe David as a man after God's own heart, and the reason is not because of the things that he did, because he did heinous acts. It's because of his response when he was called on those heinous acts. When he was exposed as a sinner. What's our response typically if, if someone comes to us with sin? I know me. I get defensive. Whoa, wait, slow down. You're worse than me. You know, I, I, it's not that bad. We try to justify things instead of saying, you know what? You have shown me my sin. I am aware. I have sinned against you. Take it away. Wash it away. Give me a pure heart. That's a desire. That's a want. And that's, that's something that we actually... Can offer. We can offer our desire, Lord. I desire to follow you. I desire to be clean. I desire to be real. No more pretending. Oops. Let me go. Just let me go back to the. We'll stay on this one for a minute. The second thing is you must turn from your selfish ways. the The turning uh, of that is is a word we call repent. And when we confess and repent, it's, it's a change of our mind. It's a change of what we think about something. Now, I have to conf- confess this, that oftentimes I think it's confess and repeat. <laughs> I change the N from repent to an A, and I get in the cycle of I confess a sin, and then I repeat it, and then I confess a sin and repeat it. And I really think it's because I, I haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to change my mind, my thinking of. Uh, uh, my heart about that particular sin. I like it too much. I'm too comfortable with it. People, we need to confess and repent. Third part of that is is take up your cross daily. And to me, that, that just symbolizes an understanding of the weight of sin. When Jesus was carrying his cross to Calvary, it got to a point where, where he was physically unable to do it, so another guy had to help him carry that cross. But this idea of total submission and total understanding to the weight of that sin and accepting that the journey will not be easy. And then the last one, simply follow me. The best way to follow is through obedience. And we need to be obedience uh, obedient in the following of Christ. I wanted to, to sum this up with, with this last statement. I kind of already clicked on it, but... The only way to do this is to do it together. Uh, at National Conference, uh, last couple of days, uh, I was down in Grand Rapids at the Res Life Church. Wow, what a, what a cool church. Uh, it was a great conference. And one of the, the seminars I went to talked about the one another's in Scripture. There are 55 instances in the New Testament where it talks about one another, 21 of them are unique and distinct. We are meant to do life Together. When someone asks about, well, can I just stay home and watch a preacher on TV and that's good enough? My answer is no, because you are not together. You're not experiencing life together. Now, that's how life is supposed to be experienced, but but I can tell you that this whole idea of, of us wanting to appear more righteous than we are, and this the pride and the, the fear and the comfort and the ignorance and all that stuff. That usually prevents us from wanting to be with other people and talk about those things. How many marriages have have we seen crumble because the couple was unwilling to even even invite another couple into their life to see what's going on and maybe help them? We just see the end result. Well, they just kind of grew apart and, and now they're you know they're divorced or they had an affair or whatever. They weren't doing life together because I'm convinced if you're doing life together, someone's gonna gonna help you out in that process. We don't like uh, James chapter chapter three uh, where it says confess your sins to one another. James chapter five, I can't remember which one. Confess your sins to one another. We don't we don't like to do that because that means you now know something about me that's not pretty. I don't want you to know stuff about me that's not pretty. I want you to think that I'm great That I'm awesome. We need to get past that. We need to, to find some people that we can trust, where we can, can be real with. So that we can not just rely on the appearance of our righteousness, but we can actually be working on that very righteousness that we're talking about. So I, I want to just take a, a, a moment here at the end. We're, we're pretty much down to, to the last few minutes here of our service. And I just want to lead us in a time of prayer, of confession and repentance, uh, and, and a and a desire to to do that to seek out some people uh, because I think that's that's incredibly uh, important in each of our lives and we want to do this this life together as a church and so um, would you would you stand with me and and we'll pray and and if this is something where you have some things you want to you want to really confess um, we don't really have a, an altar per se uh, but there's there's space up here if. If you just want to even kind of publicly say I'm dealing with some stuff and I want to I want to lay that down, well, I invite you to do that. We we won't make a big deal of it. We won't. Um, if you don't want anybody to talk to you, you know, don't worry. We won't come and bother you. Uh, we really just want to be a church that that encourages this this dealing with sin, this killing of the sin that's that's prevalent in us, and and uh, we don't oftentimes give opportunities to do that. So. I invite you to to come if you feel led to come, and the worship team is going to come and uh, and play a song. Uh, but uh, let me let me just kind of close us with prayer. Lord God, we all desire righteousness, and sometimes we we make the error in in wanting just to appear righteous when we're really not. Or there's uh, there's this whole book that I referred to as this list of sins that we tolerate and and lord i know in my own heart i've i've tolerated some sin and i i confess that i don't want to tolerate that sin anymore Uh, lord i want it to to be gone lord i pray that your holy spirit can can come and create that change of heart or that change of mind and uh lord i i pray that that leads to a change in behavior um lord i I know that sometimes I I dance with my sin. I invite it to dinner. I I ignore it. I avoid it. Um, I don't want to do that anymore. I I just want to be real. I want to be an authentic Christian. Lord, I I don't want to be afraid that people see the inner workings of me. Because Lord, as David said, you you have washed me clean. And Lord, I'm so thankful that that we serve a god who uh, who has provided a way for that, and uh, I just praise you for that. I praise you that that Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of sinners, and i 'm chief among them, and uh, Lord, I pray that that we might live in that forgiveness but lord, I pray that we're we 're not too prideful to admit these these issues we 're not afraid to admit these issues we, we, we don't get comfortable with our sin and and, uh, Lord, I pray that, that we might just push through that because, as Luke 9 says, we, we want to be your follower. We have to turn from our sin, take up our cross, and follow you. And I pray that that might be the desire of our hearts this morning. And we give you all the praise for that in your name. Amen.